Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, we are in the book of Romans. When we were singing that song, we will not be shaken. Um, we're going to get to that part of the passage here in the book of Romans. When we got to that part of the song, we will not be shaken, it made me think of something that I discovered when um, some of you remember not too long ago, probably several times now, there was massive flooding in the Midwest. Do you remember the flooding in the Midwest? And they were showing overhead, kind of like uh, overhead views of miles and miles of property that was underwater, including neighborhoods and farms and whatever. And, and I remember thinking to myself at the time, uh, trying to process through my mind that these people had lost their whole lives. Everything was gone. And at the same time, I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind, fortunately, flood insurance will help them get back on their feet and rebuild their lives. And then, over time, it started to kind of trickle in that almost none of them in this particular flooded region carried flood insurance. And I was only, I could only imagine little glimpses of the kind of despair that they must have experienced when they were coming to terms with the fact that, in fact, at some point in their life, they may have been offered flood insurance and then decided, what do you think they decided? We don't need it. Why would we buy an insurance that we don't need? And in, basically, in a couple of minutes, they decided they didn't need something, and then turns out when they really needed it to basically save the enti- their, their entire livelihood, uh, everything they had worked for and built their entire life, uh, when that happened... They literally must have been thinking, why didn't we buy the, light, the flood insurance when we had the chance? In other words, um, to fix the crisis now is too late. And it made me, the song, We Will Not Be Shaken, made me think of that because one of the things I've learned over time is that when your life undergoes some kind of tragedy, hardship, despair. Um, What I've started to discover in church leadership and helping people work through some of the pain and suffering that they've lost, what I've started to discover is that most people during the storms of life are not shaping, they are not kind of developing their theology, they're discovering it. In other words, the hardship kind of forces them to um, live out what they already believe. And so I've kind of learned that people like us need to develop our view of God and our view of hardship and our view of suffering before the floods wipe out everything that belongs to us. Because when the floods come along or the storms come along, I've discovered most people um, literally rise or they fall in their faith depending on what they have already discovered, what they've already believed, I should say. And we're going and, and, and to kind of talk through quite a bit of that today. Um, so we are as a church family, over time, discovering or dealing with an assortment of hardship. And I have had the very humbling opportunity to walk alongside um, church family members here, both um, close and also maybe even distant church family members who have suffered terrible hardships. And we've tried to walk uh, alongside them and help them carry some of the pain that comes along with the loss of home, loss of their job, in some cases the loss of reputation, and lots and lots of grief, suffering the sudden loss, sudden loss of a spouse, or the sudden loss of a child, Um, in some cases sudden loss by suicide. Um, Church family members who are afflicted with life-controlling diagnosis, chronic uh, physical pain, chronic mental illness, whether their own or someone they love, 
walking alongside people who have, are trying to, are carrying the pain and suffering of the sexual abuse of their child, sometimes even by a former spouse or a close family member. Um, got heavy fast here, didn't it? <laughs> um, we're in the uh, part of Romans chapter 5 that's just heavy and is going to describe for us a huge word that changes our lives. And a, and, and a, and a word that changes our lives um, and also a word that changes our afterlife. If you're not familiar with the Christian faith, Christians believe that this life that we're living in the physical is short, and then there's a life to come which is what we would call eternal or everlasting, uh, and that that's the real main life that we're living for in anticipation. Of course, we're not so full of anticipation that we're not present now, right? Um, we're not so spiritual-minded that we're no... You ever heard this one? We're no earthly good, Right? Um, so we're in Romans, and Romans chapter 5 gives us a word, and it's a word that's life-changing. Around here, we refer, refer to it as transformation. And that word is justification. And in Romans chapter 5, justification by God makes a difference. And we sorted through this last Sunday, and it was the thrill, one of the thrills of my life to be able to describe and explain what justification means and how it makes a difference in our life. But it not, makes a difference not only to where we are heading, but to how we act and how we feel in the present in both good times and in bad. And that's what this passage of Scripture does for us. It helps us see how God has expressed His love and His protection for us separate from what's happening to us in our circumstances, separate from what's happening to us in our, in our daily life. So justification brings for us, and by the way, I would, I would make a huge mistake if I started to try to review for you who missed it last Sunday. If I tried to review for you what justification is, it would be a massive mistake because it would be like, it would be like running down a rabbit trail that you just never saw me come back again today. I just couldn't make it back. It's a, it's, I hope uh, you can find us either in our church app on, on the messages this weekend, click and then click messages, or you could find it on our YouTube channel. Just review last Sunday. And we're going to springboard off that and see that justification brings us something. It brings us inner peace. It brings us joy and suffering. We'll talk about that today. It brings us real assurance, certainty about our relationship with God, and also joy in God and anticipation for the future. So we get all of that in, 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 uh, that comes by justification. So today, you still with me? Are you sure? Okay, all right. Take your word for it. Here's the main idea today. It is when we suffer that we discover what we are really trusting and hoping in. Two choices today. There's lots of things we could say here. But are we trusting in ourselves or God? So, it is when we suffer that we discover, we primarily through suffering, we discover where our trust is rooted, where it's aimed, where it's resting. And it can be, for the sake of conversation today, it can be in ourselves or it can be in God. How do we learn that? How do we know that? We face a hardship. Some trouble comes along. So, what does Paul write to the church in Rome about the trouble that they're facing? In some cases, persecution. Um, and by the way, that's an important word, right? Persecution is something that I would argue that we haven't faced in our country, that other Christians face in their country, and that Christians around the world from the beginning of time, especially in the biblical time, they truly understood persecution. Their life was at stake because they were baptized publicly or they converted. So um, here's what he says. He says, we Christians can rejoice too. We also can rejoice. When we run into problems and trials, we can rejoice um, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And then 
Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Um, So, we have here a um, chain reaction that occurs. And it all starts with hardship. In the passage here, it it says, um, when we run into problems and trouble... And another version, if you read another version of the Bible, it would say uh, suffering. I've kind of summarized all of them by using the word hardship. Hardship. Most people know what a hardship is. Um, how many of you recently have noticed that the, in the service industry, it's been difficult getting staff, and when someone finds staff, it's hard, even harder to find staff who gives a fly and flip. Have you notice that? It's difficult to do that. And when you get bad service, does anybody else process in your mind things like this? This is difficult, but is this, my, is this a hardship for me? And, and uh, uh, anybody do that? Anybody, by the way, I'd recommend that. Is this a hardship? Am I being persecuted? It's so helpful to your overall emotional health and eventually your reputation wherever you are, by the way. So um, I've kind of summarized with, with hardship. Now, um, I came across a long time ago a passage uh, in a book called the Com- a book of uh, Common Prayer. Uh, it was, um, and there was this prayer that was discovered, and it was recorded in this book. And I'm going to, I'm going to, tr- I'm going to give you what this prayer was in essence. But you're going to have to change gears here and try to take this in, okay? So. Try to take this in. This is, by the way, this is a severe example of somebody who is um, rejoicing in their suffering. Severe example. Severe example. But um, check this out. Here's how the prayer went. The prayer was written in a piece of paper, and it went like this. Please forgive my tormentor. May all the fruit caused by their affliction be counted to them as their righteousness. And this prayer, can I say it again? Is it okay if I say it again? I hope, all right. This is the prayer. Please forgive my tormentor. May all the fruit in my life caused by their affliction of me be counted as their righteousness. It's like on par with Jesus saying, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? It was a prayer that was found, allegedly found, on a piece of paper in the pocket of an older child who had died in Auschwitz, the concentration camp. But try to process that. This little older child, maybe you know, 12, 11, 12 years old, writes this prayer. God, may, they, may my tormentor get credit for what they're doing to me because I've borne fruit from it. And I think to myself, how mature were these little kids back then? And, and how um, intense and how severe that affliction is for someone to say, it has brought fruitfulness in my life. Would you agree that was pretty, I mean, that's intense, right? Um, so there's something so crucial to learn. And if you're around pop culture Christianity, you're not going to learn it in churches that are committed to pop culture Christianity. Churches that kind of gather around this Christian faith that says, hey, folks, listen, I know you're frowning now, but God wants to turn that frown upside down. We are, God is going to get you with us, and when you're with us, you're going to learn that we're happy clappy. You, um, this is not going to be solved by positive thinking. The kind of hardships that we face in our lives are not overcome by power quotes or clever memes. They cannot help you. And here's what I've learned, and I think a lot of you have learned this too. Depending on our view of God, hardships will shape or shipwreck our faith. Depending on our view of God, not depending on the trauma, the tragedy, the hardship, the persecution, not depending on the circumstances, but what's it dependent upon? It's dependent on the way we see God. Whether or not the storm that's blowing through our lives will either wreck us or shape us. And um, I remember this coming kind of very vividly when 
years ago, there was a ministry that was, it's a missions ministry, and they traveled around the states, and they, and they created these youth conventions, and there was a team of young leaders, interns and leaders, who were flying from city to city, and they were planning these events that would recruit teenagers, and then they would send them overseas in a missions experience. And I remember this tragedy that occurred. The plane that was flying around from city to city crashed with all of the young adults who were leading this ministry and their, um, um, their pilot. And I remember some controversy kind of surfaced when the, there was, in the plane crash there was one survivor and the rest of the young people died, perished in the, in the crash. And I remember some controversy that surfaced in the Christian community when the one surviving child's parents started to openly and publicly say, we thank God for protecting our child. He's so good. He's so good to us. He protected our child. God wasn't finished with them yet. Now, are you already there? You already jumped to the other sets of parents whose kids were also obeying God and were also useful in the hands of the Creator who perished in the plane crash, reading these big long spreads in Christianity today talking about how God good is, how God how good God is. Why? Because he protected my child. And these people are thinking, so is God not good? Or should I feel like he, he would have been good if he would have protected my child? And I remember this is this was quite the controversy. Our child is dead. He didn't protect, protect our child. And now we're in crisis as to whether or not God is good. And they weren't doing things they shouldn't do or sh- that they uh, uh, were risky. They were following their call into leading young people into world missions. That's just an example of how, in, in a lot of ways, we learn that what we want or what we expect our faith to do, in some cases, our faith... What we want to do is we want to recruit God subtly to protect our life, or through our faith, we're recruiting God to enhance our life, or through our faith, we're recruiting God to fix our life. And we oftentimes determine whether God is good or real based on whether He comes through and He enhances our life, He protects our life, or He fixes our life. And I think that's natural and normal for us, but we have to adjust how we see God, and we have to adjust our thinking in that area so that we know separate from our circumstances, God has demonstrated that He is good. How? Primarily through justification. How do we know God loves us? And this is answer to the question, does God love me, is always answered with this. We know God loves us because He's demonstrated that love. And that while we were still rebellious, prideful, self-sufficient, um, um, self-reliant people, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together, sign up for church, and, and, and live faithfully to Him. That's how He demonstrates His love, right? So, um, what do we get when we become members of God's Christian family? What we get is maybe not life enhancement, maybe not a God uh, um, who's coming in and fixing all of our problems, maybe not full protection, even if we pray that God provides a hedge of protection. It doesn't always mean everyone that we love is protected, right? So what do we get? We get justification by faith. And this is important because when Paul is writing to the church at Rome, he recognizes that there are some who are devoted to the Old Covenant. And God creates this Old Covenant, and He says in the Old Covenant, in the, in the Old Testament, um, I am going to be faithful to you, you be faithful to me, and you can demonstrate your faithful to, faithfulness to me by following the rules. And they continue to break the rules. They continue their unfaithfulness. And eventually this old covenant is broken down. And God says, I've got a new covenant. And even though since the very beginning, people have been rebellious and selfish and unfaithful to me, and they've chosen sin and rebellion over me and living by my wisdom, I'm going to create a new covenant and I'm going to create a new family that no longer lives by the rules, but lives by faith. And that new family is going to be a multi-ethnic family who can be gathered around and unified and transformed in Jesus through their faith, and they will be a family of unconditional self-giving love and forgiveness. God's covenants with His human partners were not perfect. 
They um, continue to try to justify themselves with sacrifices and successes and with good intentions. But this new covenant starts to flourish because it's a, fa- a, a new covenant based on faith. So God makes us right with Him no longer by following the rules, but by faith in the one who followed the rules perfectly. And that's how He gathers us up. So um, we turn to these new benefits that Paul describes in in, in, um, in chapter 5, and basically he describes these benefits of justification as peace with God, access to God, and also a future hope to be with God. So um, all those benefits are terrific, but then life happens, and we have these ups, and we're like, oh, thank God for all the benefits of knowing Him. Then we have these downs, and we're like, where's God? Is He going to show up here and fix this, protect me? Um, And obviously, we have the downs that are as much pain in our lives as they are pressure. So when life is up, we can savor and enjoy God. When life is down, we're like, it's a total mystery. I don't know why Um, this isn't getting fixed. And then it costs us sometimes our peace, and we feel like it's hard to focus on. So Paul writes to us in this letter of Roman church, and he says, justification makes every difference. Whether you're up or whether you're down, it's justification that makes every difference. And he says, we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Now, wouldn't you admit, I mean, is it fair to say that the idea of rejoicing when we run into trials, that's kind of counterintuitive, right? Um, I would be much more quick to believe it if Paul says, we can grin and bear it when we run into trials and and, uh, problems and trials. Like, that's reasonable. Grin and bear it. I had a parent, um, really probably both of them oftentimes used to use that phrase quite a bit, grin and bear it. Going to get a shot, and uh, my dad's emotional support for me was, son, grin and bear it. I was like, Dad, what would you know about grinning and bearing it? So big deal, you lived through the Great Depression. Big deal. So this is important. Um, we, uh, by the way, other passages say we also rejoice in our sufferings. Um, they, so he says we, we have our hope of glory, but not just a hope of glory, but while we're here waiting for the future glory of living with God forever, we can have joy now. And in effect, he says, not only do we have these joys, but these joys remain joys. Even in our sorrow, they're not taken away. We don't lose them in our sorrow. They even help us to find joy in our sorrow. But let's be precise. This is important when we're dealing, with, I think, with, with suffering and hardship. This is important. Let's be precise and abundantly clear. We don't rejoice for our problems and trials, right? Can we be real? Can we be real? When you come across a Christian, and I hope, you know, let's not, let's not be this Christian, right? When somebody... When you are the Christian who is suffering and someone's asking you about hardship and you just give them one of these. You know what I'm doing? I'm I'm rejoicing for my problems. I'm rejoicing for my trouble. I'm rejoicing um, because God saw fit in His supernatural wisdom to send persecution my way. Right? So we're not talking about rejoicing for having problems and trials because there is a lack, there's a disconnect when that happens for us, right? And it kind of projects, I don't know what you think, this is my opinion, it projects a little bit of phoniness or a lot of phoniness, in my opinion. And it's, it, it's not impossible to rejoice for, for suffering, um, these kinds of people who are rejoice for problems and trials, um, sometimes, I mean, it's not impossible, but the reasons aren't good. The reasons is that some people rejoice for their problems and their trouble because they feel guilty before God and they feel like they deserve to be punished. And uh, it's possible, too, to feel like their sense of unworthiness just needs a little bit of punishment. Does that make sense? Right? And so they're, giving, they're thanking God for punishing them adequately because they don't feel like they deserve His grace. Also, people would 
rejoice for problems and trials when they are trying to maintain a superior attitude, and if they're suffering, it makes them feel superior to those who have it so easy in their life. I've got it hard. A lot of you have it easy. One of us has favor before God, and the rest of you, I mean, one of us doesn't, right? So it's also possible to use suffering as work, right? It's another form of justification by work. What does that mean? Well, God owes me favor and acceptance. Why? Because I've been dealing with this hardship. So God now, He ought to be coming around and and, and leveling the playing field and kind of fixing this. So people who don't process their suffering, this is so important, so important. People who don't process their suffering through the gospel of grace can become proud. They become uh, maybe a sense of superiority. They become um, deeply cynical. But we who are Christians, authentic Christians, genuine believers, real people who are honest with themselves and with God, we can rejoice in our problems and trouble. Not for them, but in them. Uh, People who run into problems and people who run into trials Uh, People who are running into trouble, these are storms. That means there's no joy in the actual trouble themselves. God hates pain and suffering and hurt. You remember when Jesus was walking up on Lazarus who was in the tomb and he had been dead several days and there were people he loved who were grieving? He rage cries. And it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Do you know it? Jesus wept. You could tell people like forever now you've memorized Scripture. Jesus wept. And the word wept means rage cry. He was angry with, with his tears. And he was angry because this intruder, death, had intruded on what he had created, which is life and abundance and joy. And there was sorrow and grief now because of the enemy had brought death and rebellion, separation from God. And so we see that um, even Jesus here demonstrates that he hates the pain and trouble that this life brings, and we should too. But Christians do something new. Christians here look through suffering to their certainties, okay? Let me let that sit with you for a second. If you're a Christian, if you have rested your trust and you've made a trust transfer where you used to trust yourself for um, getting right with God and justifying yourself with your sacrifices and your successes, and now you're like, no, I'm going to transfer my trust to Jesus. If that is you, then when you are in a hardship or you're in a trouble, when you're in the, the dark skies of grief and hurt and turmoil have floated over your life... You look through your suffering and you look straight at and clearly into your certainties, things you know for sure. Things you know for sure. Focus on the knowns and the certainties rather than the unknowns and the uncertainties. And you focus on the certainties that you have learned. Um, In general, can I run this by you? Hardships are a tool. Or they're a test. This is kind of like if I summed up what hardships are biblically, we see that God uses them as a tool, and God also uses them a test. He uses them as a tool for dependence. Um, What does that mean? That He uses our suffering to kind of, or our hardship to kind of leverage us towards more dependence on Him. And I'm just curious, how many of you have discovered through hardship that God did that to you over over the years? Anybody would say that's true for you? I would say, for me, it's been true as well. So, um, what does that mean? Well, first of all, do you know that all trouble isn't trouble that God has sent you, and it's not all coincidental? How many of you know someone, maybe you in your past, maybe you presently, or maybe someone that you know um, over the years who has faced a lot of trouble, but it was consequences for their terrible decisions, right? That's always a tough one when you're talking to somebody who's sharing with you and they're talking about how God is unfair and these terrible things are starting to happen to their life. And then you kind of think to yourself, the terrible things are very much connected to your terrible decisions. And we call those, it's just consequences, right? And if you're a Christian, there's no shame or guilt in those consequences, but the consequences remain, right? Um, Also, the tool for dependence can also be something called discipline. 
In the Bible, there is discipline. God sends discipline to those whom He loves, and by disciplining them, He purges them of things that are hurting them, and He kind of like grows them in fruitfulness and maturity and character and, and, and other things. So, discipline. It's, those things are sent by God. Which ones are which? Not exactly sure all the time. Then there's afflictions. Those are things God allows to happen, right? Did God send that plane into the ground that I referred to earlier and all that loss of life? People would say, well, you'll hear it at funerals all the time. God took them home. And in fact, one of the parents of this child said, um, God must have been all through with their work on earth. And so, so what does that mean? Did God somehow create the circumstances to bring that plane down? And he's like, you know what? Done for my work of the day. Well, I would call some of that affliction. How does affliction happen? We are humans in a broken world. Sin has corrupted everything, and there's a lot of terrible things happening that there are afflictions having to do with death, sin, corruption, decay is in the world, right? So those things are allowed by God. Why does He allow them? We don't exactly know. We don't exactly know, right? And isn't it fair to say if God had the, and you'll talk to some people sometimes who are doubters and they'll say, look, here's what I know. If, if you say God is all-powerful and this all-powerful God chooses not to just fix everything, I don't believe in that God. And I don't know how anybody could who has the power to save their child or their children and he does not. Secondly, whole other topic, right? But the next thing is that we see is that hardships are a test of authenticity. What does that mean? It means that those people who endure those hardships till the end, what we discover is by their endurance, we see that they belong to God. They have endured to the end. How do they do it? They belong to God. It's a test of authenticity. Uh, all of these you'll see if you have a concordance, you could look these words up and you can see lists and lists of Scripture that help us better see them. So, what are the positive results of suffering? What are the positive results? Um, does, have any of you ever done a? Um, have any of you ever done a nutrition or a um, physical fitness program? Raise your hand if you. No, nah, you don't have to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you know somebody who has. You know somebody who has, right? Um, if you have, if you have done a nutrition plan or you've done some kind of physical fitness plan, here's what you've noticed. You've noticed that it created some suffering. It created some suffering. Relatively speaking, it created some suffering. But for, for people who continue on, why do they continue on? They see positive results. So I would like you to imagine that that's the same way that God works with hardship in our lives. There are positive results that are brought about by the trouble that we face or that we run into. There's positive results. Now, I, I will admit that um, when somebody's grieving the loss of a child... If you're a wise listener, caregiver, and counselor, you don't say, listen, you're going to love this. I jotted a few, down, a, a, a few items down that are the positive results of you losing your child, right? Do we agree? No bueno. Bad news, right? But if you are not in the middle of suffering or you're not helping someone through suffering, we can get our mind around this a little bit better, and it's so important that we do. There are positive results. And Paul is telling us how suffering affects a person who knows that he or she is justified by faith, right? They are right with God, they have access to God, and they have a hope for a future glory to experience beyond this earth. And in this case, Paul says suffering begins a chain reaction. One thing leads to the next, which leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing. Hardships produce, this is so good, a step-by-step -step transformation. If you believe that God has saved you by grace and you, uh, um, that, that His justification has made you right in His eyes and you have right standing with God, then this chain reaction brings this new transformation that makes believers more and more like Jesus. Here's how it goes, real quick. For we know that they help us develop endurance. Suffering develops endurance. Um, endurance is developed by ongoing hardship. And um, here, the word endurance means focus. It essentially means focus. Suffering leads to perseverance, endurance, or think of it this way, it leads us to being able to focus. Um, 
when I'm in the, the gym, when I first started in the gym, we would get the workout, and when you get to the gym, you learn what the workout is. And it might say things like this. Uh, the first exercise, 30 reps. The next exercise, 60 reps. The next exercise, 75 reps. And I didn't know any different then, so as soon as I did rep number one, I would start thinking about all the reps that remain. And in my mind, instead of counting what I was doing, do you know what I was doing? Stacking up in an avalanche format all of the reps that remained. And sometimes telling myself, I, have, I am almost I'm dying right now. And I have 180 of these left. 180 of these cannot be done by the way I'm feeling right now. Why am I doing this? Are they paying me? No, I'm paying them. You are a moron. You are a moron. Stop doing this right now. And then my, rep, my, my pride kicks in and says, you can't stop doing this right now because nobody quits. If you quit, you're the only one who quits. And what are you going to do? Walk out of the gym, sissy? Is that what you're going to do? But over time, do you know what I learned to do? This is just brilliant, I think. Brilliant. I learned to focus on the reps that I was doing at that second. And maybe the rep to come. Or maybe this three set of reps and then three more. It kind of reminds me of when we were learning to eat peas. And you just focus on, you remember that? Me either. I've always loved them. It's fruit of the Spirit. Then, one at a time. Next pea. Next pea. You can't look at the whole plate of peas. This is so good. Write that down. This is so good. This is so good. So, Here's what I learned, that endurance oftentimes has to do with the ability to focus on right now, rather than focusing on all of the potential uncertainties and unknowns to come. It's a focus question, and this word literally means single-mindedness. Suffering helps us focus. It helps us focus on what's most important. We try to leverage this every time we have a funeral among our church family. I try to at least mention that one of the wisest authors of the Bible on the planet known in human history said, it is more beneficial to spend one day at a funeral grieving than it is to spend all your days at a festival. Why? Because it's when we're at a funeral we start thinking things like, my life is going to end. I'm not going to be here forever. And we start asking questions like this. What am I about? What's most important? Am I spending my time, my limited time, wisely? Am I investing it? Right? And we think about it during the hardship. It helps us focus on what's really important. It helps us to realign our priorities. And it makes us remember what is really lasting. And let me put it this way. It purges distractions. Hardship, trouble, um, all of it starts to, helps us purge distraction. And, it, and this kind of focus leads us to the next, next aspect of this chain. And the next aspect of this chain is this. Endurance, single-mindedness and focus, develops a strength of character. What does strength of character mean? It means testedness. It means tested, past, tested, past, tested, past. That's what it means. It is the quality of confidence that comes from having been through an experience. And it only comes from following through and doing your duty. How many of you have heard of the phrase, the greatest generation? Yeah? And what is it about that generation that makes that generation so great? I would submit one of the things that makes that generation the greatest generation is they had a duty, and it cost many of them their lives and their loved ones, and they laid it down to, um, to serve our country in World War II at great peril to themselves, at great sacrifice to themselves, at great, great personal cost. The greatest generation had a character that was a quality of confidence that was unique. Also, you may have heard this. If you're a sports fan, you'll hear someone say when they're analyzing or they're broadcasting a sport, there'll be a couple of teams, and they'll mention that one of the teams that's playing in this championship may well play poorly, and the reason is because they've not been in this position before. 
Or they might say the other team has an advantage because they've been in the playoff championship before and they've got experience. What does that mean? They've had a testedness. They've been able to grow a strength of character in their experience has created in them a unique ability to follow through on their duty, to do what's in front of them. So one team has missing character and one team has the presence of character. And the tested team is the one who overcomes the team that has all the jitters. And they perform well because they've been there before. So, suffering at, at first leads you to focus on God and proper uh, priorities. It will eventually lead to greater confidence. And then this character leads us to the next aspect, and here it is. And this character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. What does this mean? It's assurance. This helps us develop assurance. And this growth in our hope is a stronger assurance, and it's a confidence in your own peace with God, it's a confidence in your own access to God, and it's a confidence in the future uh, presence of God that we're going to spend eternity in, and all of that starts to be clearer and clearer. Our confidence gets more and more sure, and suffering removes from us rival sources of confidence and hope. It removes from us other places that we, might like, that we might look to to sense that deep down that we're okay with God or other places that we would look to that, to be sure that our future is okay. Suffering drives us to the one place that we discover real hope, one place that we discover real confidence and real certainty, and that is it drives us to God. It drives us to focus on Him and His work, His promises. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. This hope that we have doesn't lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit fills our hearts with love. So, while you are in your hardships, while you are in them, this is, I hope this is helpful for you. Let them deepen your joy in justification by grace, right? So again, I know I recognize this phrase, justification by grace. If you, if you missed last Sunday, this might be a little bit more vague. If you, were, if you um, heard the word, the, the, um, this passage, right, verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 5 last week, you still might be fuzzy on it. Wouldn't hurt to review what this means. But let them deepen your joy in the certainty of God justifying you in, in front of Himself, declaring you righteous by the work that Jesus did rather than the work that we do. The sacrifices and successes of our life um, don't add up to anything before God, but Jesus's are all that matters. So if you face suffering with a clear grasp of justification by grace alone, your joy in that grace will deepen. It will grow. Um, it's interesting, too, that Paul writes this right after he writes verses 1 and 2, right? The, the rejoicing happens right after the justification by faith, right after God's grace. And it's meant to help us be single-minded on our prayer and our, our obedience. It helps us to be single-minded uh, um, and grow in confidence that we will experience more of this love the more focused we are in God's love and our obedience and the joy that He offers us. And Christians testify that they feel more of God's presence and love during suffering. Right? I've asked you this before, but how many of you would say, while things were really intense in my life, like problems and trouble and hardship, I, I really, really, I really leaned in to my faith or into my God. Would you let me know, where are you? It just forced you. And then, isn't it crazy that... Um, isn't it crazy that we wonder sometimes when things start going terrific, we start to kind of feel apathetic? And then something hits us that's severe and we're back on depending on God and we're like, what a shock. Well, not really if that kind of leverages your dependence on God, which is where He wants us, right? So um, I think that we can see that too and it helps us focus on Him more and trust in Him more. And in Paul's um, assertion here, 
he shows that suffering starts a chain reaction that eventually leads to hope and the confirmation and affirmation. The benefits of just, justification not only diminish, are not diminished by suffering, the benefits of justification are actually enhanced. They're clearer. They're more real to us. So how else can we let God use our hardship? Um, we can let them expose your trust in justification um, by works. It will expose our justification by works. Well, how do we, how do we know that um, we trust in our own work? How do we know? Well, um, one, one way that we know is that we have to pretend everything's okay. I alluded to this earlier. But we have to become the kind of Christians that, that is a fake-it-till-you-make-it Christian, right? Plastic smile, shallow living, uh, anytime life gets real, you have to just pretend that it's not getting real. It's just happy, clappy, plastic banana, good time rock and roll. Fake it till you make it. And what's sad, in, in one way what's sad is Christians don't have to be like that. We can actually get sober-minded and say, I am unwilling to look this hardship in the eye because I'm afraid. It's going to expose that I'm a prideful person. I, am, I feel superior to other people. I have become cynical. And this is going to create in me, um, it's going to reveal in me some things that I'm not that happy with. But it's when we suffer that we discover if our trust is in ourselves or if it's in God. So here's some signs of trouble. We blame God. Um, we might say, if we're a believer, we might say secretly, right, not out loud, we might say, God, I've done my part. I've been faithful. I have served you. I have made sacrifices. I have experienced some spiritual successes. I am just plugging away here. And privately, between you and me, I want you to know I'm disgusted because I'm doing my part. Why haven't you done your part? in evening out these circumstances, in freeing me from this persecution or hardship or this pain and suffering. Now, if you're a non-believer, don't necessarily consider yourself a, a, a Christian, you might say something like this, why would I transfer my trust to a God who doesn't prevent suffering from His own children, even innocent children, even kids, why would I put, transfer my trust to a God like that? And we, in some ways, we're showing there's, that's a sign of, there's a sign of trouble. There's our natural questions, but that is certainly some sign of trouble. Now, here's another sign. It's a sign of trust, and that is that we're pursuing God. We have questions, but it's not interrupting our pursuit. We have some real hardship, real pain and suffering, but a specific difficulty or hardship that you've experienced as a Christian, and maybe it's something you're experiencing now. Maybe it's unprecedented level of loneliness and rejection or a sense of abandonment or hurt or abuse or loss and grief, uncertainties about the future. Maybe it's medical, mental, relational, emotional. And I want you to know that and I've seen this happen, and I'm sure you have too, that it's possible that during this season of your life, God could be giving you what you need to pursue Him even more intensely. It could, be, uh, it could lead you to focus, if you let it, and to be single-minded. It could lead you to a deeper experience of God's presence and His love. It could um, help you sift out the unimportant things, the distractions, and really start to nail down some needed priorities in this phase of life. Maybe it could help you focus your attention more on prayer and more on gratitude. For what? Well, for what God has already done in justifying you by faith and no longer counting your sins against you. The most important thing, defeating and overcoming our greatest enemy, which is death, separation from God. So, I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. Our team is coming now. Um, I'd love. To, would you bow your heads with me? 
these topics and these passages aren't fun. Um, I would prefer to skip them because um, people tend to enjoy their lunch better when the pastor's been fun and funny and lighthearted. But I recognize that some of us are experiencing this, these dark clouds of trouble. And I just want to pray for you. Everybody here has got their heads bowed, their eyes are closed. And I wonder if there's anyone here who just, I mean, this is a timely message. You sense that God is speaking to you because the storms are blowing. And I'd love to know, who am I praying for? Would you slip your hand up? Who am I praying for? Yep, anyone else? Yeah. Yep, yep. 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 Anyone else? I'll give you a second. You just say, Pastor, this is, um, this is timely. Yep. Father, only you can do what needs to be done. My words can't. My stories can't. My insights can't. But I am so heavy-hearted for our church family. Grief and loss and hurt and rejection. Loneliness. Sometimes despair. And we submit ourselves to the powerful, life-altering work of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that even in the middle of this trouble, that you would bring new joy, a joy free from circumstances and rooted in justification by faith that we have been made right in your eyes by the beautiful life-changing work of Jesus. That we have access to you by your grace. We can come boldly to the throne at the perfect time, right when we need it and you don't send us away in shame and guilt. You receive us like a father receives his own child. How does that happen? By your grace, through justification. And also, we are in need of being reminded that the hope we have is not just that these circumstances will pass by, that the storm will blow over, but may, may we be reminded that the future is even brighter than that. So we spend eternity with our Creator, and Jesus will be in the middle of the party. All of His glory all of his perfections, all of them bringing just newness of life to us every day. And Father, I pray, we know you can intervene in circumstances and we plead that you would intervene in circumstances, that you'd make it stop, you'd um, move it along, that you'd uh, somehow do something miraculously. But also, more importantly, God, should those things continue, may you somehow find a way to leverage our trust out of ourselves, out of our things, out of our successes, out of our sacrifices, and may our trust be uniquely only rooted in you. And only you can make that happen. God, just reassure us today. And thank you for saving us, setting us free. And as we sing now, God, may it be songs of rejoicing, not only songs of lament, that all the lament would be followed with hope and joy. Our stories are sad and have a lot of bad news at the front end, but most of our story is incredibly good news. And would you restore it today? Newness. May the joy of our salvation come bubbling up and over these days, we ask in Jesus' name.